Hello. Well, hey there, Dom Flemons. Yeah. Hey, it's Catherine Brand from WUNC. What have you been up to? Well, right now I've been on tour for the past uh, month and a half or so. Right now I'm actually heading toward Georgia from Alabama, going to the Bainbridge, Georgia. Wow. Well, you know what? We were hoping that you uh, we'd uh, try a little something different for this episode of the American Songster podcast. Would you be able, Dom, to send us a recording from one of your shows? Well, of course. You know, funny enough, I got a, a show from uh, Las Vegas uh, from the Winchester Cultural Center I've had in my back pocket. Let me give that to you. Well, all right, then. Let's get to work. From North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, this is the American Songster Radio Podcast with Dom Flemons. I'm Catherine Brand. Dom is on the road right now, and he joins us by phone. Hey, Dom. Hey, Catherine. Well, so, Dom, you've been on tour. What are we going to hear now? Well, you know, this is a show that I did just a few weeks ago at the Winchester Cultural Center in Las Vegas. You know, actually, I've been going back and forth a whole bunch uh, across the country, uh, just heading to the different shows that I've been involved with and then just uh, making a couple of uh, different trips to meetings and stuff like that. So it's taken me about three, three times across the country so far <laughs> this year. Wow. Well, you've been working on a new set of black cowboy songs. Does it feel any different to you singing those songs out west being that you're, you know, closer to the wide open range and all? Well, you know, funny thing about it is that last year my touring happened to take me down a bunch of the old trails that helped form this country. There was the Lewis and Clark Trail, and there was also the Chisholm Trail, and then also I found myself going on the Oregon Trail, and I ended up driving about 80,000 miles last year. So hmm. it was great to have past buys and different landmarks that are referenced in all these cowboy numbers. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Uh, well, let's get started, Dom. This is Dom Plemons recorded live in concert at the Winchester Cultural Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. You're listening to it on the American Songster Radio Podcast. My name is Patrick, and I want to welcome you to Winchester Cultural Center on behalf of Clark County Parks and Recreation. You're here because Dom Flemons is known as a tremendous performer and uh, a wonderful entertainer. Um, you should know that he's also becoming quite the distinguished historian. He's um, a meticulous researcher and an excellent writer. You can find uh, some of his the history that he's written online. Um, his talents extend in a number of directions uh, for quite some distance. We're, we're very lucky. Oh, another thing I might mention is, uh, even though he was a founding member of the uh, Carolina Chocolate Drops, he has a southwestern drawl because he grew up in Phoenix. So um, it's only natural that he should begin doing what he's doing now, which is uh, researching 
the music of the African-American cowboy. Um, so one of us, another Southwesterner, Dom Flemons, <clears throat> the American songster. Good afternoon, everybody. Well, I'm glad y'all could make it. It's a pleasure to be back here at the Winchester Cultural Center. As mentioned before, my name is Dom Flemons, and they call me the American Songster. And the Songster is a musician who plays a lot of different types of numbers. And this is one here that I learned many years ago from a great fiddler by the name of Joe Thompson. And this is a song called Old Cindy Gal. Thank you so much, folks. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Cindy Gal, that's an old, old-timey number. And I'm going to play another string band, one that I picked up over in my travels. But on this next one, I'm going to play uh, one of the other old instruments I picked up. On that last one, I played an instrument called the Rhythm Bones. Realized past couple of shows, I forgot to tell people what these were and I've been getting a lot of questions about it. So these are called the rhythm bones. And so these are bones from a cow, short rib bones. They're not connected. And, and basically to play them, you hold them between your fingers like this. And then you hold one finger down and then you move your wrist and you get a... And then when you put a little arm movement into it, you can swing it a little more than that. But that's a little bit of those right there. The other instrument that I would say, this is probably one of the oldest ones I play in the show. This is one called the quills. And so they're also known as pan pipes and 
quite a few different names, but they're called the Quills in the United States. And this next song is one that I picked up from a, a songster from East Texas who recorded in the late 1920s by the name of Henry Ragtime Texas Thomas. And while there were just, uh, I'm going to say about three or four different people who recorded with this instrument, the Quills, Henry Thomas was the only one to make commercial recordings, so they thought that they might be able to sell some of those records. Little did they know. But this one here is a tune called Charmin' Betsy, and you hear these, this song played all over in the string band world, but Henry Thomas had his particular way of doing it, especially with the quills. And it turns out I'm one of the only practitioners of the quills that's uh, around now. And I found out through a very odd sort of way, there was a guy who asked me to be a part of a website. You can look it up. It's called the Hall of Pan Flautists. And you know, I get an email from the guy who said, would you like to be entered into the Hall of Pan Flautists? And I said, yeah, sure, okay. And uh, he, he put me into this database with about, I don't know, two or three hundred other panpipe players from all over the world. And it really just blew my mind. And he told me that I was the only African-American quills player that he knew of that was, that was still playing the old style. But let me show you a little bit of why I had to learn this, because this, this is a style that I just couldn't help but get into. Charming Betsy. I'm going down the mountain, Charming Betsy. Going down the mountain to a leave. If I Thank you. 
bitches going on down the line. Folks, this old banjo has taken me a lot of different places, and when I first started learning, I didn't realize it had such a deep history in American culture. Of course, you know, I, I heard it in places like everybody else did, uh, on the Beverly Hillbillies and uh, Deliverance, but, you know, different things like that. And so I started playing the, the banjo, just not knowing anything more than that it was a really great instrument to listen to. But once I delved deeper into the history, I found that it really was shocking, staggering, as well as fascinating and beautiful, the history of this instrument. It's a, a tool of survival. You know, when enslaved Africans came over, they brought the memories of a lot of the old instruments they used to play back in Africa and also back in the Caribbean. And they did a thing, um, there's a proverb with the Ashanti people um, and it's the, the proverb is Sankofa, that's the, the phrase, and it means go back and fetch it, and it's a proverb that's used to tell the young to take the good things from the past, take it to the present, and move it to the future, as depicted by a bird flying forward, but it's touching its front beak to its back wing, showing that it learned. It learned from the the good and the bad things from the past and making a new future. And so this instrument is Sankofa. And those early enslaved Africans, they had to find something that, that was African sounding, you know, it was some, you know, because Africa is not just one place. It's not just a country, it's a continent with many nations. And they had to find an instrument that sounded African. And one of the ways that they found that was by creating an in instrument like many others that had a, a skin head and the strings vibrating over that skin head gave it its particular sound. 
and the banjo since then, it, it's changed and it's transformed with every single person who plays it. And uh, uh, the music that you heard when you came in came, is from a compilation uh, that I'm putting out through Smithsonian Folkways called Classic Banjo Volume 2. And I kind of jumped into the idea of the banjo and, and picked a lot of different types of numbers. And you know, one of the fellows that, uh, who passed away recently, actually passed away two, two days ago, uh, now about three years back, fellow by the name of Pete Seeger, who you all know and love. And, and Pete was a person who took that idea of Sankofa and used it in his banjo as well. You know, I've done it in a couple of other different ways. I'll play you one of the favorites that's, uh, that's gotten me a few biscuits in my time of playing it. A song called, Your Baby Ain't Sweet Like Mine, and you can sing along if you know it. just a little list that lets me know when I got to pick the laundry up this afternoon. Sometimes, no, okay. Cheese and bacon, I don't know what that means. But nevertheless, uh, you know, I've gotten to take this banjo a lot of different places. And uh, one of the ones actually, I actually went to a wonderful uh, show actually just before I did the gig last year here. I was out in Carnegie Hall of all places. You know, a very prestigious venue, of course, in New York. And I was celebrating 
the music of one of my iconic uh, heroes. It was a fellow by the name of Hudy Ledbetter, and he was known to the world as Leadbelly. And, uh, you know, when they went to interview me about, about the show, I hosted it, and they asked me, they said, well, you know, is Leadbelly still relevant to people today? And I told them, I said, yeah, well, in the way that, you know, even if you don't necessarily know Leadbelly by his voice or his original recordings, you heard at least... I don't know, half a dozen of the songs Lead Belly made famous, including Goodnight Irene, including The Midnight Special, Cotton Fields, um, Where Did You Sleep Last Night, Skip to My Lou, a lot of different numbers. And so when they asked me to host this thing, I had this, this medley of two of Lead Belly's songs that I thought were very poignant, you know, and I decided to record this medley on my next upcoming album on Black Cowboys. Because there's, Lead Belly has one song called When I Was a Cowboy. That is a cowboy number. But there was something thematically in the history of the Black Cowboys in the Western migration that I felt this, this medley was something that was a little more unique. It's two songs, one called Poor Howard, and Poor Howard's Dead and Gone. And it's a song about the first Negro fiddler freed from slavery. And this was his theme song, and that's something that Leadbelly taught when he was singing this number. And then the second one is called Wanna Dig a Hole to Put the Devil In. And the meaning is a little bit clearer on that one. It was a song that he learned back in his, his days when he was incarcerated. Um, it was a song that all the boys could get together in the fields when they saw the straw boss walk by. And they didn't care for him, but in those days you really couldn't just say that you didn't care for him in a direct way, um, not without getting some heat on you. And so they would say, we're going to dig a hole to put the devil in. So as he was going by, uh, he thought it was a quaint little song, and the boys knew a little bit better. And so I played this one out on that big Carnegie Hall stage. I also, uh, this uh, last year toward the, I'm going to say about... Uh, Right in October, actually it was the end of September, I got to be a, a part of a wonderful event, the opening of the National Museum of African American History and Culture. And that was a beautiful thing, to be right on the mall. I was on the Gil Scott Heron stage, and I was standing, I'm going to say about as far as away from uh, the audience here to the stage, from the Washington Monument itself. And so I was playing this song right to the Washington Monument as hard as I could, hoping I might hit the top. And so here's a little bit of Poor Howard. Sing this 
Thank you. Thank you. Well, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, my next record's going to be an album on the stories of the black cowboys. And so being from Phoenix, Arizona, I didn't necessarily know that African-American cowboys had such a, a pivotal role in, uh, in the settlement of the West. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's really something like, uh, actually, I saw a movie called Hidden Figures in, uh, in the theater, and it kind of had the same sort of idea to it, where there's this, this, this world of uh, people who were, were working and working hard, and it just, it, it just, you know, for one reason or another, it just slipped through the cracks, and just people don't know about the history. And I came across a book called The Negro Cowboys by uh, Philip Durham, and it was a really illuminating book in the way that, okay, so if you think of the Civil War ending, so after the Civil War, you know, they, they broke up all the major towns in the South, and the cattle ranchers, their cattle got spread out all over the South. And so in the course of the Civil War, the cows began to breed, like cows will, and they breeded so much that nobody could really tell whose cattle was what. And there was just thousands and thousands of cows that were f just freely roaming in the south. And as the new proprietors that moved out west realized that, and also with the lack of uh, enslaved people, there was a, a void in the economy. Cows turned into its own sort of economy. And so these proprietors started hiring people to do seasonal work to bring these cows out west to Montana, out to Las Vegas, Arizona, everywhere, you know, from Kansas City West. And, it, and so the first uh, African-American cowboys came from a variety of places. They were either ex-slaves, they were freed men of color. Sometimes they traveled over with their old masters. Uh, sometimes they just wanted to get away from the South, so they just went out there. And, and because so many of the people were used to working with cattle and horses, they became some of the best bronco busters that there were, and they worked independently as proprietors. And so that kind of gives you the first sense of it. So all of a sudden, the idea that about half of the cowboys that settled the West were black cowboys, that is an interesting story. Of course, after the cattle rustling calmed down in the turn of the 20th century, uh, you had dime store novels that romanticized the cowboy's life because, you know, cowboy work isn't necessarily glamorous. And uh, then the singing cowboys from the Hollywood pictures came in. And so the image of a black cowboy started to disappear just slowly and steadily. And one of the cowboys that I, whose story I came across was a fellow by the name of Nat Love. And uh, he was a really great uh, bronco buster, roper, uh, Wrangler, and uh, he's just an all-around, all-around uh, great cowboy. And he was known as Deadwood Dick at that time. You know, to be dead, to be a, to be a Dick was to be the, um, like, really the classy guy, the smooth operator, the best in your field. So he was Deadwood Dick because he was out in Deadwood, uh, South Dakota, and he'd won every contest. And later on in his life, he became a Pullman porter, which to me also made the story even more intriguing. I found out many of the old black cowboys became Pullman porters. They rode on all these trails 
rustling this cattle. And then when the railroads came in, they became railroad assistants. And they used the knowledge that they had learned on the trails to travel on the rails. And in that love story, I found a lot of inspiration. And it, it got me to write this next song here, one called Steel Pony Blues. I reference a town, Holbrook, Arizona. Has anybody driven through Holbrook before? Yeah, it wasn't particularly memorable, right? Yeah. <laughs> the only reason I know about uh, Holbrook is uh, my grandfather started his Church of God in Christ there in 1951. And my dad talked about those days when people still were boiling their clothes out on the range as uh, his father was called by the Lord to save some souls out in Holbrook. But this one, Steel Pony Blues, it just gets me thinking about him. Down the road somewhere Caught the first thing smoking Down the road somewhere Well, I caught my steel pony And boys, I'm gonna ride Getting far too old To follow this here herd Good Lord, I caught the first thing smoking Down the road somewhere Caught the first thing smoking Down the road somewhere Well, I caught my steel pony And boys, I'm gonna ride I'm a pool porter now, good Lord, I caught the first thing smoking down the road somewhere. Caught the first thing smoking down the road somewhere. Cause I caught my steel pony and boys, I'm going to ride. Here I go.
Now they call me Mr. Flemings Cause I done tore that guitar down Good Lord, I caught the first thing smoking Down the road somewhere Now when you get over there You won't find me Hell, I called my steel pony and boys I'm going to ride I got to ride that trail one more time This number here was one that, uh, this is the one that really, really uh, surprised me the most. When, when I was uh, learning the songs for the Black Cowboy record and trying to think of what I wanted to do. This is an old favorite here called Goodbye Old Paint. And it's one of the most well-known cowboy songs, but the thing that I didn't know about it was that it was one that, from the beginning, was referenced as one of the songs of the Black Cowboys. The guy who recorded it for the Library of Congress, for John Lomax, was named Jess Morris, a white fiddler. And uh, he made a point to mention with Goodbye Old Paint, he had learned it from a black cowhand that worked for his father named Charlie Willis. And then later, he learned to play the fiddle from another black cowhand who worked for his father by the name of James Neely. And he adapted the song more or less into the form I'm going to play it now. I put my own little changes on it here and there, but let me play it for you now. Goodbye, old paint. Can't help but thinking about on that tour that uh, I was talking about that took me all over the country. We got to stop by the Rio Grande and bask in its beauty for just a bit. And the song references that, that wonderful landmark of our country. You know, Nat Love said that if you want to know the best way to be proud to be an American, travel, see this entire country, and see if you don't at least swell up a little bit to say, I'm so proud to be an American. Not so much for the social implications, but just knowing that we have this wonderful, wonderful chunk of land that brings us all together. And so goodbye, old paint.
again Cause old paint's an old pony And she paces when she can In the middle of the ocean May grow a green tree But I'll never prove false to the girl that loves me. Old paint, old paint, I'm a leaving shine. Goodbye, old paint, I am leaving shine. Cause old paint's an old pony, and she paces when she can. Spread down the blankets on the green grassy ground And the horse and the cattle were all grazing all around Old paint, old paint, I'm leaving Cheyenne Goodbye, old paint, I am leaving Cheyenne Cause old paint's an old pony And she paces when she can So he named her Cheyenne Old paint, old paint I'm leaving Cheyenne Goodbye, old paint I am leaving Cheyenne Cause old paint's an old pony And she paces when she can Thank you. 
Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. I got time for just one last one. Thank you all so much for coming out this afternoon. Now this last one's one called Till the Seas Run Dry. And uh, this is one that I wrote a couple years ago just to, I needed to get a little bit of that New Orleans flavor back into my set. It had been a long time since I'd played some New Orleans type jazz. Like King Oliver, Louis Armstrong, Lil Harden Armstrong, and all those wonderful folks. And before I go, though, I will mention one thing. Now, the music industry is a fickle business. The one thing that, as a live performer, I know I can guarantee on is the audience, y'all. And, you know, I got, I got this, uh, you know, there's a sickness that's going around in this country. I'm gonna, I'm, I'll tell you about it. It's really, it's really crazy. It's, uh, you know, it's just right in, there's this buildup that grows right around people's pockets right here. And it's this thing, it's, it, you know, I've been all over the world. It's red and blue in some countries, but here it's just all green. It gets all nasty and builds up and it spills out of, of this area right here on the pants pocket sometimes with the ladies they've got their little purses and it it builds up around the corners of those and uh, I got a remedy over here at this table right over here in the form of compact discs and long playing records and uh, and if anything that y'all can do to support is always appreciated not just for me but any live act you see I just I've just been making a point to mention this to audiences because I found that people have forgotten that we need you more than ever and so I just uh, put that little bit out there. I want to thank you all again for coming out. And uh, once again, my name's Dom Flemings, and they call me the American Songster. Thank you all so much for having me. Scapiti patupi. Scapiti pati.
That was Dom Flemons recorded live in concert at the Winchester Cultural Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, Dom, that was that was really terrific. Uh, where are you headed next? Well, uh, from here, I'm going to be heading out to Los Angeles to be a part of a viewing party for actually an upcoming television show I'm going to be on, on CMT. It's a show that's called Sun Records, and it's about the very famous independent record label of the 1950s, started by Sam Phillips, that launched the careers of not only Elvis, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, and Jerry Lee Lewis, but also uh, Howlin' Wolf and Ike Turner. Also, um, uh, there were other people uh, uh, like B.B. King as well first made his records on uh, Sun Records. And so I'm playing a one-man band by the name of Joe Hill Lewis, who was a staple of the Beale Street scene in Memphis, Tennessee. And he was actually the first artist that Sam Phillips recorded. So I'm going to be playing this, this musician in the show. So that's one thing I'm doing. I'm also going out to Europe again. So I'll be in England and also in Barcelona, Spain. I'm going out to Malaysia this year, and I've never mm -hmm. been out there. 
playing a show out in the rainforest. And then, of course, I'm going to be jumping all over the United States uh, playing playing uh, my music for uh, all the different people who have, uh, who just enjoy old-time music and also my newer material that I've been doing, including the uh, the cowboy huh. material from the Black Cowboy record coming up. Wow, you don't rest, do you? No, not too much. <laughs> just in those few waking moments that I get. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dom. Well, thanks so much, and we'll see you down the road. I appreciate it, Catherine. Thanks for giving me a call. The American Songster Radio podcast is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. It's produced by David Brower, Joe O'Connell, and Dom Flemons, the American Songster. I'm Catherine Brand, and we'll see you next time.